Hey, welcome to the Hive with Us podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Daniel Martinez. Today, we have a special guest in the land space, an investor, Mr. Wayne Ebersol. I said that correctly, right? Yes, you did. Ebersol. Good to meet you, man. How are you doing? Good to meet you too, man. I'm, I'm excited about this call. We spoke briefly like a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, and then uh, now I'm actually on the podcast. And I love doing podcasts because I get to explore the person a little bit more and we go a little bit deeper and it's kind of carrying the conversation, but we get to expose it to the world. So yeah. Everybody here watching, this is for you. But we kind of met a little bit briefly a little while ago. But what part of the country are you from? I currently live in Montana, just outside of Great Falls. Montana. Yep. I'm guessing you have, probably have like a big ranch or something. Actually, I don't. <laughs> you're, you're working on it in the future plans or something? Yeah, we're working on it. That's part of what our investment fund's all about. So we'll be there after a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think we're trying to find a big ranch too and to do the whole thing. But what, our, our goal is to get it for free. <laughs> there you go that's that's the goal so like yeah you can go you can go out and buy whatever you want but if you get it for free that's a story so we're trying yep, to, no it is we're trying to find a way to get like a thousand acres and sell 800 of it and keep 200 for free and do something like that and then that, that'll be the story and we build something on there i'm sure it's doable <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's that's the plan so you are a fund manager and investor how long have you been an investor as a real estate as a whole it's been off and on over the years. I lost most of my real estate in the 0809 crash. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so I've got the battle scars to show that for show for that. But right now I'm not. I don't have a whole lot of real estate. I'm focusing primarily on the investment fund, which is into regenerative agriculture and potential for clean water that we can do and the increase in soil health, which brings profitability to the agri agriculture section. So. So I really want to talk to you about this because I don't know nothing about this as a whole. Okay. So let's talk about regenerative agricultural. Let's talk about what, what's the definition of that. And let's kind of jump a little bit down that rabbit hole. Sure. So my backgrounds, uh, I have about 10 years experience in uh, cover crops and soil health consulting for farmers, specifically helping farmers that have farmed what was termed as conventional farming practices transition to regenerative agriculture. So those are laid out largely... My reference is a Noble Research Institute out of Ardmore, Ardmore, Oklahoma, has published a six criteria for regenerative agriculture. And I like to distill it down to three. And basically is you're keeping the soil covered. You're stopping all or most tillage or all tillage of the soil. And you're having some form of inoculation, regular inoculation of from cattle and manure and things like that. And these principles have been demonstrated most prominently by Jay Furo, the University of North Dakota, as being able to rebuild soil organic matter and soil health the fastest. So traditional farming since about World War II has been largely monocropping, whereas regenerative agriculture is a diverse of species, bringing more and different types of species into the mix, at least three different cash crop in a rotation, as well as keeping the soil covered. So Stopping tillage means, you know, conventionally you would till the soil maybe once, twice a year. Maybe you would summer fallow it or chem fallow it means you kept it sprayed out, all the weeds sprayed down on it. But what is happening is when you do that, when you don't have any living root in the soil for as long as possible, your microbiome starts to deteriorate in your soil. So by having diversity of species of plants, regular inoculation and stopping tillage, as your soil transitions to being becoming healthier, your input costs can go down then. So on average, we see about a 75% reduction in chemical usage wow. from conventional farmers. 
Um, and that includes um, synthetic fertilizers, insecticides, uh, herbicides, all that kind of stuff, which is where the profitability comes from for regenerative agriculture operators once they can get through the first three years. The first three years are the most difficult. And the reason we started the, whole, the fund is because most farmers, number one, the average age of a North American farmer is almost 58 years old. Yep. Number two, most of them are so, are so tight on uh, income and cash flow and profitability, they can't afford those three years of transition to make that transition. So I like to say there's, I don't know of any other industry out there that has such a high capital investment for so little return as agriculture. And it's one reason why we're losing more and more uh, land that's leaving the agricultural space. And it's why the age of our farmers is so high because the younger generation is not coming into it because it's not profitable enough for them. So we're hoping to change that with our fund. That's awesome. Okay, I want, I want to hit on a few key points. So I have heard of the rotating crops thing. I didn't really understand it, but that kind of explains that. And then like farmers not having funds capability to do that is a, I mean, I totally understand that too, because I think farmers are already tight as a whole. They run a very high margin business and it's the cash flow is terrible. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's not a very profitable business. show is sponsored by HiveMind CRM. It is more than just a CRM. It is a real estate and business mastermind that comes with an all-in-one CRM. You can have unlimited websites and users. You can call, text, RVM, and email all-in-one user interface. And you can set up custom automations for any type and multiple businesses. 65% of companies start using a CRM system within the first five years of business. Once implemented, the HiveMind will save you on marketing, give you more time, and make more money. One of our users has had his first $100,000 month using our system in June. We want to see you automate and accelerate your business. Text us at 210-972-1842 for future meetings. And of course, to get our $1 course on how to make more than six figures on one land deal. You can schedule your free demo today at hivemindcrm.io. But what are the like returns or yield you can get just by regenerating farming and re like curing that land like what's the yield output you get just by doing that process well it varies and one of the principles um that's part of the regenerative agriculture is also context so where are you located are you in the northern north america northern part of north america are you south uh are you in a more of a dry land you know an arid climate or a wetland you know if you're in the midwest where a lot of corn and soybeans are grown a lot of those farmers are just doing corn maybe corn on corn and then when you're soybeans or something like that. Whereas if you're in, you know, if you're in the front range of the Rockies where you get very little moisture on average, you know, your, your approach is totally different. So it, it varies, but the principle that we like to say is, yes, you're probably the first three years, you might even take a yield hit, but eventually that yield will come back. But where the benefit comes from, where you double your profitability is the reduction in input costs. So mm -hmm. you're not spraying as much. You're not, putting as much fertilizer down as you were at one time. You're not doing as much tillage or you're, you know, spending the diesel fuel to till as much. Or if you're doing chem fallow, you're not paying, you know, paying for two spray passes on chem fallow in a season. So there's a, there's a lot of context varies greatly, but the core principles there of keeping the soil covered, keeping a living root there, diversity of species and in, and regular inoculation from livestock are kind of the core principles that, as uh, Gabe Brown has said, 
they work wherever they're tried. <laughs> I got you. I got you. No, I, I think I think it's cool because I think uh, it's you're you're bringing back you're bringing back stuff to life that yeah. would otherwise be kind of desolate. <laughs> you know. Yeah, when you really think about it, the soil with the mono with the heavy tillage, the heavy uh, chemical usage, and the monocropping that's or mostly monocropping has been done has largely mined the soil of its nutrients. So you need, and if you don't have much of a microbiome left in that soil, there's nothing to, uh, there to produce plant-soluble nutrients for that soil. So you need your fungus networks um, to, for communication, for interplant communication and transport of nutrients to plants. And you need your bacterias to digest the raw minerals down to plant-soluble minerals. And that's what, and that's where the growth comes from and that's where the profitability comes from because eventually when you manage that herd below the soil, it, it takes care of what's above the soil. Mm. So let's talk about a little bit of your background. So you sure. work for a company, and this is, I love this about it too, because uh, a lot of people, they, they take their prior history and they're like, oh, this is not going to be useful for anything. Yeah. This is where like, you kind of, I think you kind of laid out a path and we can kind of cover that a little bit now, but you, you sure. want, you, you have a degree or something in this, in this field? Well, my background's in accounting information systems. Yeah, and started out out of high school with IT company, a software company, and that eventually led to me being an IT manager of a retail chain store in Central Pennsylvania. Eventually, I went out and bought my own first business and started buying a couple of businesses, turned into more into consulting uh, work, um, and then oh eight oh nine, the business I had then, we were into uh, marketing and website development, but we were doing a, for a lot of manufacturers that were tied to the real estate business. And so that's, we lost like in 2009, we lost like 75% of our contracts in one year. So it was, it was a difficult time. And that's kind of where I started on the consulting thing and working for different companies as a consultant. And I got this opportunity to work for a company called Cover Crop Solutions. And that's what kind of, a, my dad had been, I grew up in the building industry. My dad had a little farmette and stuff and took care of a few animals. And growing up, I had helped some farmers as well. So farming was not new to me. And that's, but what was happening, what was then, that was even before um, regenerative agriculture was a term that any, everybody used. It was just like, we talked about cover cropping and soil health and no-till and all those concepts. Uh -huh. That whole package is what became regenerative agriculture. So I had the privilege of working with a gentleman by the name of Steve Groff uh, from South Central Pennsylvania. He was a partner. He had started the whole cover crop solutions business. Uh, he had been no-tilling and practicing soil uh, regenerative agriculture from the mid-90s, actually. Uh -huh. uh, was very instrumental in the Chesapeake Bay cleanup effort and taking these principles that we now know as regenerative agriculture and applying them to clean up the Susquehanna River and the creeks that flowed into it, which led to cleaning up the Chesapeake Bay and fostering a whole fresh, revived uh, fish environment and crab environment in the Chesapeake Bay. And even to this day, if you go down there to Tangier Island and talk to those fishermen, they'll tell you the bay is, is probably in one of the best conditions it's been in the last 50, 100 years. So wow. and all that has led to positive outcomes for everybody downstream, even though they're not tied directly to agriculture. So working under him and being involved in this regenerative ag space for the last 10 years, I got to learn firsthand on how regenerative agriculture impacts um, not only the farmer and the profitability of the farm, but everybody that goes on to eat that food and all the water that flows downstream from that, you know, it affects a lot of people. And so my vision was how can we make uh, farming more profitable and more environmentally friendly for everyone 
And so that more and more people get involved in it and produce food that's healthier and a better um, waterways and streams and everything are all cleaned up. So a better environmental impact. So yeah, that's my background in IT and finance kind of brought me, brought these things all together into kind of a unique package. So I think it was 20, 30 years in the making and it's all coming together right now. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel that way. (laughs) Yeah. You have no idea what would come about. And this, I think, I think a lot of people, they like, Oh, I have a plan. Like, but women, women and people, like that i have to have a plan a b and i'm going to get to where i get to z and i'm like sometimes you just gotta the path creates itself and you figure it out on the way (laughs) yeah it was it was you know i always thought i was going to be in the it space or the finance space but i always had in the back of my mind that i wanted to do something in finance in fact i had tried to start an investment fund as early as 2006 and then again in 2015 and just kind of was overwhelmed with all the regulations and all that kind of stuff but working as a CFO for an agriculture equipment company, having my own businesses and now launch, actually launching the fund. It is a culmination of a varied uh, skill set and one that I think will produce a lot of impact and dividends for our investors, but also impact on environmental impact because we're focusing on the Mississippi watershed. Now we, I'd like to see us be a part of doing for the Gulf of Mexico, what we were able to do with the uh, Chesapeake Bay. So. No, it's a it's a big mission. I I think I'm all for the mission. I think everybody you have to find what you love doing and have a big mission that's that makes sense and changing. In my head, I'm like, you could be the turning point of agriculture in the U.S. Well, that's kind of the goal. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about the fun space a little bit too, because sure. I think a lot of people they try and over overcomplicate complicate complicated things. And it's not that it's complicated; it's just that you have to understand the basics. I think the way the United States is run, it's run by money and mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah. When, the, when the two come together, that's when I think capitalism happens. Yep. The, the good capitalism, you know? Yep. Not the crony capitalism. <laughs> yeah, you, can, you can have bad capitalism where bad ideas create bad things, but yeah. I think good capitalism is where good ideas create good things. And I think I think a lot of people might overcomplicate it. And I, I think a lot of people have good ideas, but it's taking action on the good ideas. Yeah. And jumping in. So I think your whole concept is you have a good idea. You already have the skill set. You already know the need. You've seen the need. And then you're, you're putting, trying to get the capital behind it to make the good yeah. idea come to fruition. I think that's a, that's a good mission anybody can get behind. Yeah. No, the whole fun thing, like I said, was overwhelming. I tried twice before to launch it. But um, you and I are part of a program that helps emerging fund managers, helps people get started in that. And that has been a huge help for us. Or even even initially, I was just going to start with like a real tiny little hedge fund thing because, you know, on my side, I do a little bit of trading and do a little bit of investing and things like that. And so I was kind of thinking about just doing this whole mini hedge fund thing just to get started and learn the ropes and stuff, but had a broker dealer that we're working with to help us find investment funds. And he's like, well, you know, what's your goal with this? What do you really want to do? And that's when I started laying out the vision of regenerative agriculture as an investment opportunity. And he said, you need to do that right now. He said, that is really hot. And I said, there's a lot of potential money out there for that. You know, I know a lot of people don't like the ESG term, but there is a lot of money that can be harnessed for regenerative agriculture from the ESG space, you know, like Citibank having like a $4 billion ESG fund and things like that. So there's a lot of opportunity right now. And there's a lot of awareness on even food production and how it gets, you know, from the field to the table, from farm to table stuff. 
And so even, you know, your average person is, is starting to become more and more aware that, hey, the earth has its own digestive system and that's a soil. And if you want, if you as a person want to have good digestive health, your soil has to have good digestive health because that's where it all starts. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of the awareness is, is happening there right now. And that's why he was like, Hey, you need to do this. You need to get started on this right now. So we're jumping in both feet and going for it. Can you explain what ESG means to everybody listening? Yeah, sure. ESG is, it's kind of this whole concept and, and there's not a lot of definition around it. it to a lot of people, it means a lot of different things. Okay. To some people, it's a very negative thing because they see what China has done with the social governance portion of ESG. So ESG stands for environmental social governance. And the idea there is, you know, you just like you have a credit score, you have a social score. And when you do things the government likes and considers positive, your social score goes up. If you do things that are negative, it goes down. And I'm not in favor of that so much. You know, I believe, you know, we're a country of freedom and free enterprise and people should be able to do largely what they want to do as long as they're not hurting people or hurting someone else. And so yeah. that's where the negative component comes from. But we also know that there's been a lot of damage to the environment in some parts of our country too, you know, whether it's, you know, the super, uh, the super sites that need cleaned up and all that kind of stuff, or it's just the amount of soil. You know, you think about, you know, just earlier this year, there was a, a windstorm through Illinois blowing across the field that had just recently been heavily tilled created a dust out on this interstate, had a 60 car pile up and six people died. You know, well, that could have all been prevented if that farmer would, whoever was doing that tillage had been practicing regenerative agriculture, that would have never happened. And so, you know, at some point it is causing problems. Yeah. So what can we do to keep that? Number one, whoever tilled that soil invested heavily in that soil and now it's gone, it's blown away or washed away or whatever the erosion factor is. So strictly from a financial financial perspective, as a CFO, I'm like, why wouldn't I want to keep my investment on that land? That, that soil that blew away was the prime soil of that land. The rocks didn't blow away. <laughs> so it's the prime component of that land that blew away or washed away or whatever the erosion event was. So, and just as a side note, we've done this. We've actually went and tested the soil in the ditches alongside the road, it's some of the best soil because it's never been tilled. It's always been covered. All the grasses there are collecting everything that's blown off the field next to it. So we jokingly tell a guy that if you want to improve your soil, plant a cover crop and catch your neighbor's soil when it blows away. <laughs> so it's, it's these kinds of things that are causing damage, are causing pain to other people that, you know, we need to look at as, as agricultural people, we need to look and say, what is my impact on this? How much of my fertilizer is ending up in the streams and in the Mississippi river that I paid for? Why wouldn't I want to keep that on my farm? So this look at the positive aspects of ESG and we don't have to go down the roads of all the negative stuff with ESG. I'm not in favor of that, but there are things that are hurting other people and impacting the environment that we do need to take a look at. So I'm familiar with a little bit of this because I have an in-law who drives a water truck. So he okay. keeps the the soil wet so it doesn't kick up in the in the dust storm. Yep. And California, and I live in California, has a lot of regulation for that because they have a lot of desert areas. Yeah. A dust storm can be a huge problem, especially when there's construction. Yep. 
So is that is that they keep it wet, not necessarily saturated, but just wet to keep it down? Well, that that's a short term thing. I mean, in California, where you have a lot of hot, dry air and a hot, dry wind, that's kind of a very short term solution because your evaporation rates are so high. You know, ah. you can you can be an area where you get a lot of rain, but you have a lot of high evaporation. It dries out very quickly. Or you can be an area where it's very humid and you know more of a tropical environment and you'll grow all kinds of things and it's never going to blow away because it's heavily covered so but yeah california and even like where i live on the front range uh here is you know it can be very hot and can be very dry and your evaporation areas go up but if soil that is covered well number one it will not blow away as quickly number two your evaporation rates out of your soil go down now eventually you know if you're in a drought period where it can be no rain for you know nine months or whatever it's pretty hard environment to keep soil covered like that that's a that's just difficult but over time and there's even some preliminary studies coming out where where there's large areas of the country that have switched to regenerative agriculture the weather patterns have actually changed over those areas wow. because the air is not as hot and dry not drying out the air which prevents rainfall so it tends to be a little bit cooler which can, and more condensation, more plant exudates uh, at night, creates more moisture. And so I think even in Montana, I just heard a statistic recently, and I don't know where this came from, but the average rainfall in Montana has gone up an inch, I think, over the last 50 years. So the more we start to practice these things, I think we're going to start seeing bigger and bigger uh, impacts. We know that heavy tillage releases CO2 out of soil. Yeah. Uh, we know that soil that is bare heats up faster, therefore yep. it creates hotter air, therefore it dries the air out. Your relative humidity drops when your air is hotter. And so therefore the chances of rainfall are less because drier air is not going to produce rainfalls quickly. So I, I, makes sense. you're teaching me so much right now. And it's just like, <laughs> I knew, I, I knew like a little bit about these things, but like, I feel yeah. like it's all coming together right now. So I'm like, <sighs> yeah, it's very interesting to me. So, I think the minor effects, but it's the such landmass is, so, is so heavily farmed that yeah. minor touches affect the greater things. And it, and it's a transition period. Like you're not going to take California and turn it green overnight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's going to happen. It has the environment where it's very hot and very dry. And so those arid places can transition over time. I and mean, we've seen the work that Alan Savory has done from the Savory Institute in Africa, where he's taking desert, reclaiming it and making it actual farm ground. I mean, he's using animals to do it. Animals are a huge component and animals get a, livestock gets a bad rap. Uh, you know, oh, it's contributing to uh, CO2 and global warming. Well, not really because the animals have been around for as long as the earth has been around yep. and they have, and the animals have, and the earth have been in a very good cycle. What hasn't been around is heavy tillage. <laughs> That's a fairly recent thing, you know, with the invention of the mallboard plow, that's when heavy tillage really started. And that's why we had the dust storms of the thirties, because people came into this great wheat country where the organic matter was very high, ripped it all up and it blew all away, causing all kinds of diseases that went with it. And it's because of heavy tillage and the heavy release of CO2 that I think we're seeing some of the effects that we've seen today. So getting back to those principles of working in harmony with nature and not against nature is what's going to bring the balance back that's needed i believe so one thing i really love about this is you're providing education too which is why we're yeah. here so education gets in the space it prevents it, it helps the bottom line but it also helps the environment 
It also yeah. helps the people from doing stuff like that, where the, they're, yeah. they're operating more effectively and efficiently and safer. Yeah, no, it's 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 funny, you know. And in the winter time here in Montana, we get snow, and we sometimes we'll get wind events, and we'll see we'll, you'll see this term called snurt, which is dirt and snow mixed in the roadside ditches. Okay. Well, you know, these some of these guys will will till the soil right before in late fall, it lays bare all winter, and then all the soil blows off with the snow into the ditch. <laughs> you know, it's things like that. So, you know, watch out for dirty snow. That's when erosion. You can see where the erosion is actually happening. <laughs> ah, <laughs> that's crazy. So um, let's talk, let's jump a little bit back into the fund area. So sure. your fund is looking to acquire. And this is the other part I, I love about this. You have a good mission. And I think there's a huge need for it because the farmers are aging out and retiring, yes. passing away, and all that. There's a huge transition point. So your fund is looking to acquire more farmland to regenerate it and make it make it healthy again. Yeah. So basically, the whole point we want to do with the fund is, over the ten, last ten years of working with farmers, you know, a lot of farmers saying, "I can't make that transition. I can't yeah. afford the three years. I can't do it, or I'm too old to make that transition, or I don't have anybody to." take over the farm to manage it after. So why would I make the transition? And, and so that's a very real problem. I, you know, if we believe in free enterprise and profitability, then there needs to be a solution to this that works with the free enterprise system. We can't just, you know, legislate and say, Hey, you're going to farm regenerative now from now on and let the farmer suffer the consequences. So yeah. taking a, you know, looking at what Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have done in investing in farmland and saying, well, Gates is the largest landholder right now. Why isn't he practicing regenerative agriculture? And he's not. And he's gotten some flack for that. So why don't we, for that farmer that wants to retire or get out of farming or doesn't want to do it anymore, let's buy his farm. Maybe we'll pay him to manage it for us or we'll put our own manager on it. Let's get through the transition period. You know, on average, we, you know, to get back to full uh, production capability with double the profitability, it takes seven years to make that transition. The first three are the most difficult. So let's put, let's finance that operation and let's transition that farm. And then we can sell it off or maybe even our own manager says, Hey, you know what? I can make a living. Do I'll take over this farm and we'll, and, you know, we'll, you know, set up a deal where he buys it from us. Or the third thing, you know, we can sell it to a neighboring farmer because we also know that farmland has gone up in value in the recent years. Yep. And over the last 50 years, farmland has almost never gone down in value. So it's a very good investment play, a very safe investment play. But the opportunity that I think the, the big guys are seeing is that farmland is getting to a crunch point where it's going to take off. It's going to skyrocket. And commodities and farmland in general are one of the few areas where there's never been a, not been much of a bubble in it, you know, like there has been in the stock market or anything else. So there's multiple factors that are coming together to give us this opportunity, I believe. So on average, farmland went up in value 14% in the last year. And in some areas, it went up as high as 25%. Well, if you attack on land that's been regenerated, it actually brings a premium in on top of that yet. So we get, to, you know, it's kind of, it's a little bit like the multifamily space. It's a real estate uh, opportunity with a cash flow business on it. And that's what, and that's what we see in farmland. So us stepping, the fund is there to make that seven year transition to a much more profitable farming operation that then can be taken over by somebody else that wants to continue managing it. Or we've partnered with some, with another company called outside incorporated 
where they're selling digital assets, land-backed digital assets. So they're interested in potentially buying this farm operation in real estate, selling off digital assets for it, and they will manage it for their asset holders going forward. So it gets to stay in that regenerative ag space. That's amazing. Well, I always tell our private capital, because this is where like, there's a lot of capital people that don't, they understand like multifamily because as NOI and yeah. cap rate and all this stuff. And then they get to land like it doesn't cash flow. I don't want to invest in something that doesn't cash flow. And then I'm like, like the smartest people own a lot of land because it, it, it appreciates. It doesn't go down yeah. value. It really doesn't. So like by you buying a hundred thousand dollar piece of land, it's going to be worth more in the future. Like yep. not speculation. It's going to be worth more just by holding onto it. You yeah. might not get any cash flow in it day one, but you'll get appreciation and yeah. no management, no, no toilets, no tenants, no anything like that. And then you can do something like that where you lease it to a farmer. You can lease yeah. it to whatever and still create cash flow from it, even just holding on to it. Yeah. So it's and, and that's what we want to do. We want to even take it further than just leasing it. I mean, we might lease it depending on. Well, I'm saying if you, don't want, if you don't want to manage it. You yeah. Manage it, but yeah. if you're a farmer yourself and you're running a farm business, you can still put a business on it and you're the business, you're the operator. Yeah, the absolutely. Because then you get both, you get both sides of it. Whereas other people, they can, most people they they just, they want one side. They want the ownership without the management so they can yeah. lease and give up the, yep. the opportunity to till and work the land, but you can still benefit from ownership. Whereas you, I think you're doing both. Yeah. And I've done a lot of work in the multifamily space. So 70% of multifamily are, are owned by investors. Farmland is only 13%. Wow. So uh, most of all, you know, 80, uh, 86%, 87% of farmland is owned by little mom and pop operations. And that's where the struggle has been. There's not been the investment dollars there to help it grow and help it to you know, bring the value add to it as you you know, using a multifamily term yep. um, to it, like you had in the multifamily space. So I think we're at a unique opportunity where we can do that at a time where we can do that and bring some investment. You know, there's been a lot of investment in agricultural technology and GMO technology for production stuff like that, but there's never been the investment at the actual farm level or very little of it has been at the actual farm level. So hundred percent. Yeah, it's 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 hard out it's hard out there for the land people, and yep. it's a very cash heavy business. So people yes. that are operating in that space are very cash heavy because they have to be because yep. the banks aren't lending on it, and it's just it's just very you have to come in there with capital. Is bottom yep. line, yeah, have to come in that space with capital. It's crazy. What is a quote that is yours or somebody else's that you resonate with? Uh, well, well, there's an old quote that we used to talk about back in the day: "Never farm naked." <laughs> okay i want to hear the backstory to this one so basically it you know you've seen all these uh uh terms like that right but the okay. idea is keep your soil covered you know keep your soil farm in a way that your soil is always covered not that you as a farmer farming naked but you know never farm naked that was the term that we used to throw around <laughs> i feel like all the farmers are gonna laugh at that joke yeah they probably will. that's over my head <laughs> <laughs> no it's okay so no, that was that's one of them. Another one that we used to say is soil was always meant to be covered. So wherever you have bare soil, Mother Nature will work hard to cover that soil as quickly as possible. Okay. And she'll cover it with whatever plant will thrive in that environment. Yeah. So I had the privilege, and maybe this is a story I should say for later too, but working with a guy in Colorado on certain soil types and certain plants were growing there. And he figured out, and with the help of a book, and I can't remember the title of the book right now, is 
you can look at what's deficient or what's in excess in your soil by what's growing there based on the plants that are there. Wow. So, and like yeah, there's a whole science behind that as well that and you can determine what your soil needs by what, what, by what weeds are growing there. But the fact is mother nature will cover that soil as quickly as possible. Ooh. You're just doing what mother nature does. Yeah. So again, regenerative agriculture is the whole idea of working in, harmony with mother nature not against her not fighting her every step of the way yeah wow <laughs> well that's true you go to the barren places and there's still something growing Always yeah something growing. Doesn't i was what. recently in dubai and you know it's all desert over there you think nothing grows there but there's all kinds of scrub plants growing over there <laughs> you know in this in this area that gets very little rainfall there's still something growing there I have a, I do have a Dubai question. Now that you brought up Dubai, so yeah. I read an article about Dubai using American farmland to grow alfalfa because it's it's very water, uh, water. Uh, it needs a lot of water to grow. Yep. yep. And out there, it goes for a lot, and out here, they have the water resources. So I heard it's a big controversy in the farm space, where yeah. outside 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 of the country, investors are using American land to take its nutrients. That, that is a thing. I think in the story you're talking about is actually a, a Saudi Arabia investment company that invested. It was either in Arizona or Nevada, and I don't remember where it was. But it was Arizona. It was Arizona. That's right. And yeah, they were doing that. But being in Dubai and, I, and having a, I know, coming to an awareness of what they're up against. So traditionally, the UAE has imported all of their food. They basically grew none of their food. Mm-hmm. And when COVID hit, that became a huge problem. <laughs> I mean, their grocery store shelves went bare because, you know, they couldn't import the, you know, things were locked down and all that kind of stuff. And so the UAE governments have said, look, we are, we're going to make a food initiative a huge priority. And so they are, they will look at any kind of agricultural technology, any kind of uh, farming mechanism, anything to become more self-sufficient on the food side of things. So for instance, Emirates Airlines has one of the largest greenhouses over there and they are growing their own vegetables for their catering service for their airline. Yep. So they're doing, you know, they're doing things like that. They have farm over there. They've got irrigation on research farms, like running center pivots and irrigating things. They're, they're trying all kinds of things. And one of the things they want, if they want us people to come over there and say, Hey, how can we, how can you teach us? how to farm in this environment. Can we reclaim our desert like they are in Africa? You know, what, what's available to us? And it's, and it's, it's a challenge they put to me when I was there. There was like, would you bring regenerative agriculture to the UAE? Well, I don't even have the experience at that level. I don't have the experience at what Alan Savory's doing in Africa. That that's a huge, I mean, that's one of the, the most harsh environments to transition. But the other side of the coin is, I guess if you can make it work there, you can make it work anywhere. So. <laughs> wow. That's wow. Wow. That's crazy. So I, I heard about and the, the big businesses like that, the airlines, I, I watched a video about Delta, how they have like three commercial kitchens that yeah. all the food for that day that gets pretty much served in the United States. And I was like, this is insane. Like you realize the operation, but have Emirates has their own greenhouse where they're growing in. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I mean, it, the cost of goods has got to be insane and you need it now. So if you yeah. can grow your own crop and support your own supply, supply chain. Yeah. And they're looking at more than just farming too. They're looking at 
you know, vertical farming, indoor farming, you know, they're looking at everything over there, like anything related to agriculture, they're looking at it. So that's interesting. I'm, I'm really glad I'm really glad I brought up the buy in, in the Middle East because that's, I, I guess I, I knew a little, my, I think it's my, my, my skill set as I know a lot about a little, I know a little bit about a lot of things. Yeah. I guess it's worked really well for podcasting. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Who that's knows? Good, so. Who knows? I guess it's really helped there, but I, that's that's such a crazy insight. And I'm, I'm, it's really interesting that they get you over there in Dubai to see if you can do regenerative farming over there. So it shows the need of it nationwide and globally. Yeah, there's a global need. I mean, you know, Singapore is another country that relies mostly on imports that suffered through the lockdown and COVID. So now, even though they're looking at re- agriculture, what can they do? And they're their limiting factor there is the land space. They don't have the acreage. So they're much more interested in vertical farming, indoor farming, uh, rooftop farming, all that kind of stuff, uh, ways that they can take as much space as possible and convert it into food production. And so there, there's opportunities worldwide, you know, talking to people from Africa and Middle East and Asia and all those kinds of things. There's, there's opportunity the world round for agriculture. And I think it's a great time as an investor to become involved in these things because there's never been the facility or very few faci- opportunities for investors to be involved in agriculture like there is today. Amazing. Amazing. Where can people find you online if they wanted to help contribute in some way or uh, learn? Yeah, you can find out of us. I have, t- we have two websites, our fund, our investment company is big sky capital group. So we're at big sky So there you can fill out a form and find out more from us on how you can become an investor. We are a 506C fund, so you have to be a accredited investor. Minimum investment is $100,000. So we're starting there. But we also have a, uh, I have another company called Future Generation Ag, which has kind of been my sole health consulting company. And they can find us there at futuregenag.com. So man, I, I really appreciate you come on, coming on, Wayne. I think I learned a lot. I hope our listeners learn a lot too. But I think I learned a little bit about farming where I didn't, I didn't know, know too much about it. I'm in a, I'm in a different land space, I guess. Yeah. But well, I, I learned a lot. Yeah. But, California is a unique farming place too. I mean, there's been a lot of, and probably most of the investment has been in California and the Pacific Northwest, especially in like your orchards and vegetable productions. But the middle part of the country is where we've not seen a lot of capital allocated to. So we're hoping to change that. That's amazing. It's an amazing mission, an amazing goal. I appreciate you creating and wanting to create goodness in the United States in your own little way. And I support that and I'm here to help out in any way I can. No, I appreciate you having me on, Daniel. Thank you very much. It's been I learned a lot today, man. This is for everybody here, go like, subscribe, share with a friend. You know what to do. We'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you. Hey guys, if you would like to receive hot leads right to your cell phone in a text message, check out hiveleads.io and you can receive the same leads we've been receiving in our campaign for three and a half years that's made us successful in the lend game. Check us out. So when we think about customer experience, we need to make sure that we're creating environments in our businesses that allow people to do business with us in any way that they choose and make that super easy.